0: We are prone to may- to jump to conclusions, aren't we? We make assumptions, and we jump to conclusions. And uh, I want to talk about our quest for truth and uh, soul prosperity today. God wants to prosper our souls. Did you know that? Do you think uh, in this day and age that we're living, uh, this fast-paced digital age today, uh, that people are becoming not so good at thinking? We make rushed decisions, don't you think? We uh, we kind of make quick assumptions about things. We join two and two together, associations, and we come to conclusions. Uh, This this is natural in life if you're approaching uh, an intersection and there's some cars stopped up there. The first thought is what's happening. If there's an ambulance present, you join those two together, you think there must have been an accident. And there probably was. Um, Diana Dyser once took a bite from her toast. She cooked herself some toast. And um, she looked down and she saw the Madonna in her toast. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. So um, she put it in a little box and, and wrapped it in cotton wool and kept it for 10 years. Said it never went off, apparently. Must have had Vegemite on it. Um, and after 10 years, she put it on eBay and sold it for $28,000. That's crazy, isn't it? But somebody thought, this is a miracle. And this is what they call pareidolia. Uh, It's where we project a meaning or an idea onto an image or a sound. Uh, You know, you might have, um, this happens particularly in um, misheard lyrics of songs. Anyone get lyrics wrong? Do you remember, uh, uh, there's a couple, we've got a couple here. Um, I believe in milk Those are the words, right? When you're a kid, that makes sense. Honestly, you promised me you're never going to find your bacon. (laughs) Is not that not what it is? What else we got? We're German. We're German. And I hope you like a German too. And last one. Bald-headed woman. Bald-headed woman to me. What do you reckon? Are those not the words? Paradolia, they call it. Here's some, some images. There's a very upset capsicum for being sliced in half. Oh, this is, this is perspective. Have we got the capsicum photos up there? Where's the capsicum? Right. Oh, there's, a, there's a mop that you really don't want to mess with here. Yeah, now why are you laughing? It's just a mop, right? This is what we call pareidolia. It's where we project meaning onto something that we see. It's interesting. you will take that away, thanks, Kelly. It's good. wrong conclusions. Often it has to do with our flawed perspective, which I have a couple of photos with perspective here. Our perspective can be delusional. Yeah, it's a guy eating a woman. Uh, the next one, guy flying a jet plane. Yeah. So perspective gives us ideas and we make conclusions from perspective. Think about the media. Um, We get a lot of information from the media. Has anyone ever been involved in a, personally involved in in a situation or a story that was covered by the media, but you were personally involved? Anyone? And you remember it was like covered by the media. Now, keep your hand up if the media portrayed everything accurately. There's no hands left. One over there. Uh, you know, the first, uh, the, you know, the couple of instances where I experienced uh, a situation and saw it covered by the media, I was amazed at how they made stuff up and how they missed certain facts out. And yet, you know, when we pick up the newspaper, we read an article, we just go, oh, is that what happened? Let me give you a couple of news headlines I've read lately gay man's daughter not welcome at Mandra Christian School. Student forced to leave Mandra private school over gay dad homophobic mandra school fails religious education school threatens seven-year-old with expulsion and so you know what we're talking about the uh, uh the school at the rear here foundations christian college uh you know i don't know all the facts of that story i'm sure there's there's many here that do but i'm aware that the media often take a far different direction from the truth yeah and yet we so often we take these things for granted. We, oh, is that what happened? And I've experienced, you know, as a pastor, I've had people ring me up about this situation with the, the, gay, the gay parents and the, and the child and so on at the school next door. And, you know, some of them were incensed. I'm outraged at this. I said to one gentleman, well, where did, where is the source of all your information that you get this outrage? And he said, well, the, the news media. Uh-huh. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 17 says, The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. Here's, um, where is that scripture? Is it up there? Proverbs chapter 18 verse 17. And so here we have uh, really what is the, the uh, 4,000 4, year old thing that we have called cross-examination. Till someone comes and questions. It's way back there in Proverbs. It all seems right till someone says, oh, hang on a minute, let me ask you a few questions. Let's, let's examine this a little bit further. We often decide truth on the basis of consensus, don't we? We say, well, if, if, if everybody believes it, it must be true. But let me ask you, which person should wear this T-shirt? The Chinese lady or the Indian guy? Because both have about a billion people living in their nation. Science, that's the answer. That's where we find truth. Science doesn't get it wrong, does it? Scientifically proven. Um, Here we have a a Time Magazine article from 2006. The top there says, it's been cut off. It says, global warming. And you know, uh, the the guys that do these sorts of articles, they love the pictures of um, polar bears sitting on little tiny pieces of ice floating out in the void of melted nothingness. In actual fact, that's kind of normal for polar bears every year. They do that. But um, here's one from 1977. How to survive the coming ice age. 51 things you can do to make a difference. And they're probably going to encourage you to burn things, you know, and increase the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere or something. Science doesn't get it wrong. It's scientifically proven. Has anyone seen that pro- program, The Checkout? Yeah, I love that program. So on there, uh, Kirsten Drysdale did a, um, did a piece on scientifically proven and kind of took the, uh, the you know, pharmaceutical and, and cosmetic industry to task on this whole idea of things that get scientifically proven. So uh, she went out and got a $2.99 bottle of sorbeline from you know, home brand, from Coles, added a bit of aloe vera, gave it a new name, rejuvelize. And uh, mm, that's interesting. And scientifically got it proven. She sent it off to a company and the company uh, did a test with 100 people and they came back and said 98% of the people who used your product, believe with a bit of aloe al- vera, have, uh, have ex- you know, are, are testifying to less wrinkles, healthier, more rejuvenated skin. They basically paid for that stamp, scientifically proven. Anyone remember um, all of these things that you know they get pushed our direction? You know, we get pumped with these ideas that these these are these are irrefutable truths. So the question this morning we ask is where are we going to find truth? Something whole, something pure? Are humans incapable of holding a true perspective on life? Ultimately, we're going to have to decide to trust, you know? Because at the end of the day, you and I, we have really, really finite existences. We have our little tiny brains and even when we put them all together, we really don't know very much. If we drew a circle and we said, let's let that circle represent all of the knowledge and everything that can be known in the universe. And we said, let's draw a circle within that circle that represents what humans know, what we all know collectively, what we figured out after thousands of years of living on the planet. It would be a pretty small circle, wouldn't it? It'd be like a dot, it'd be like a micro dot, because we really don't know what's going on in the universe by ourselves. What is God's perspective on humanity? Um, I'm interested in this. In the the Bible, we have, uh, in Romans chapter 1, God's perspective on humanity and where we stand. I think uh, somebody mentioned big picture today. I think it's really important when we, in the pursuit of truth, and knowing what's right, and knowing which way to go, We start with the big picture. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Let me read it to you. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power... And divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but were in their thinking, uh, in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You see, faith and trust are not blind things. They're experimental. If you like. See, the Bible says, taste of the Lord and see that He's good. What's that? There's an invitation to experiment, to step out in faith and to experience God's goodness. The Bible says that we should believe, and if you believe, you will see. Yeah? Often people say, when I see it, I'll believe it. Well, the Bible says it's the, the other way around. When you believe it, you will see it. If you trust and have faith, you'll discover. This God of the universe, Amen. So, how does God in the Bible sum up life on earth, or well, what is our purpose, or, our, or the reason for our very existence? Matthew chapter six and verse thirty-one, uh, Jesus is talking about. You know how in the world we just run around. With, we're very concerned about a whole bunch of things, and so this worry word is like the, the anxieties, or the concerns, or the, the things that really occupy our thinking. And he says, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans or the non-believers run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But here's God's instruction. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, you know, food and clothing and shelter and all the things that we need in life. All these things will be given to you as well. I think one of the most important things in discovering the reality of God is, is, is understanding priorities. That if you prioritize Jesus in your life, then not only will he, will he add to you the, the, your basic needs, but you'll discover his kingdom. You'll discover he's the king. And you'll, you'll have a relationship with the king. And you'll discover his righteousness or, or the right way of living. And he'll give you directions and guidance for life so you can build things correctly. See, Christ likeness is really the ultimate goal that God has for us. He takes Jesus as the second Adam, if you like, or the or the perfect man, and he says, You know what, here's an example of humanity. I want you to follow this example. So life is about certainly about work and about gain and about leisure and about health and about achieving, and about wealth, and all of those things are important. But listen to uh, 3 John 2. The Bible says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I love the amplified version of this. It says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically just as I know your soul prospers Spiritually, see God's intention for us is not just that we would, you know, we would live healthy and prosperous lives. It says, you know, I want you to have that. I want you to do well. I want you to be successful. I want you to go and live a, a, as the healthiest possible life you can. I want you to be able to succeed in the endeavors that you that you venture out into. But he says, but don't exceed your soul's prosperity. Don't run away from the need of your soul. Yeah. Jesus gave a parable about a rich man who uh, had a bumper crop, huge big crop, uh, 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 you know, agricultural windfall. So much that he had to build bigger, bigger sheds to put his, all, all the excess in. And then he says to himself, I've reached that pinnacle. I'm just going to chill out now. I'm going to relax, you know, eat, drink and be merry. And so Jesus in the story says that guy was a fool because he was rich in this life, but he wasn't rich towards God. How's the prosperity of your soul going? How's it going? You know, we do lots of things for the flesh, don't we? That's kind of natural. There's people who, are, you know, work out all, all week long. They're going out. They're training. They're working. You know, they're, they're building the guns. And they're... Uh, and they're you doing all that stuff for their body. They're living healthy. They're eating you know paleo food, and, um, and grains and nuts. And they're chewing on kale because you have to chew on that a lot, right? Yeah. And they're doing all sorts of things for the body. They're out there you know working hard to secure uh, you know a house, a home, a garden, somewhere to feel comfortable. They're buying some soft furnishings for their home. That's all very good. But what about your soul's prosperity? You know, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we devote all our energy into this temporal life only to lose our soul or only to realize that our soul is really impoverished? Soul prosperity. Is that a priority of your life? See, here God says, you know, in life, we, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to do well as your soul does well, as your soul does well. Amen. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It talks about this, uh, this work of God in our, in our inner being. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these promises, He has given us Very great and precious promises, so that through them you may partake in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to prosper your soul, brackets, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... That's the prosperity of the soul. They will keep you from being ineffective and, uh, and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The prosperity of your soul. Here's God says to us, you know what? Uh, your, your life is going to go on beyond the grave. He's saying your body is going to perish, uh, fall away. We're, we've all got a death sentence, yeah? We're all going to die. No one's got out of it except Jesus. He's the only one that managed to resurrect. Everyone else is, uh, you know, is, their bodies, you has know, gone, moved on. And yet, here's God says, you know what? What's important is we have an eternal perspective, that your soul is eternal. Your soul will go on forever. And Jesus said in that parable, and then whose will all these things be? Has anyone been to Egypt and visited the tombs of the kings there? They had the idea that, you know, if they put all this stuff in their tomb, along with their servants, their servants got buried with them, and then in the next life they'd be prosperous and do well. The problem was they left it all behind, yeah? So let's work this down to a a, a, a kind of a working definition, if you like. And uh, the best way I can do that is just to kind of weave that into my testimony. I was, uh, some of you may know, I wasn't raised a Christian, I was raised a, a an atheist. My parents weren't believers at all. And so at the age of 18, I began to question a lot of things. Uh, I had a friend who had a dramatic experience in, uh, and became a Christian that made me think about God, think about the reality of God. I began to follow that path. I had my own experience with Christ uh, out in the bush, me and the Bible and, uh, and the Holy Spirit visiting and making himself powerfully real to me. And from there, I began to discover that God had a plan for my life. It wasn't just, okay, now you're a Christian. Good, we'll see you in heaven. Hope you make it, you know. It wasn't like that. God had a plan. He had a purpose. He was working something. He actually, before the beginning of time, he had something in mind for me. It was amazing. And I began to discover that, that it was really linked to a local setting. He took me out of the bush and put me with a bunch of people where I had to get on with people, and they had to get on with me. I'm not sure which was more challenging. And I began to discover, as I I learned to get on with people and forgive and to get over issues and to show preference to others and to put my interests down at times and to serve other people, I began to see something change on the inside of me. I think my soul began to prosper, Yeah? I began to see some of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, love. I, you know, I didn't love anybody before I became a Christian. Oh, I did, one person. But um, just me, you know. But uh, I, was a, I was a great narcissist, you know, in my little world. But I began to discover God had a plan. And if I'm going to learn the characteristics, if I'm going to discover the characteristics of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and meekness and self-control, that's going to happen not in an isolated, you know, out in a cave somewhere. It's going to happen in the middle of a local church with a bunch of people who maybe I wouldn't normally hang out with and vice versa. And I began to get to know those people, begin, begin to journey together, and I began to learn how to serve God and serve others and see some of those fruits begin to work in my life. Every time I began to discover that God's plan for the world was going to happen through the local church. How mind-blowing is that? I was, my first thought was, haven't you got a better plan than that? That's a bit of a rough one, Lord. you know. i mean, going to look at my church and look at my life and go, what? We're the hope of the world? The world's in trouble. But indeed, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? That he's going to demonstrate even to principalities and powers his mightiness through the church. He's going to manifest revelation through the church. He's going to bring amazing things through the church. And you know what, church? That hasn't changed. Yeah? It hasn't changed in a a day and age where science has become the new church. Science has become the new God, you know. Where we look to scientists and we elevate them way up there on pedestals. And we say, well, those guys must know what they're doing. He's got a lab coat on. He must know what he's doing. He must know all the answers. And we elevate personalities like that. There was once upon a time where the church uh, ministers were elevated. You know, the the media would come around and say, you know, hey, have you got an opinion on this latest thing that's happening in politics? We'd like to know. You're a minister. I don't get asked that much anymore, you know. My great-grandfather, he used to write in, uh, he was a minister, he used to write in the the local paper. And they all wanted to read what was the minister. What did the minister have to say? Times have changed, haven't they? Yeah? It's a little bit different in our world today. We've got to ask ourselves, do we want the church to prosper? Then my soul needs to prosper. My soul needs to grasp the big picture. My soul needs to understand what God's doing in the earth and what he's doing in the local setting. See, God's will for us today, church, is that you would be in good health and you would prosper, but not forget your soul. Yeah? Don't forget your soul, because there's only one thing that's going to last forever, and that's your soul. It'll have a destination somewhere in eternity, your soul. Amen? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment as the, uh, as the worship team come up? And I want to bring a challenge out of this. Jesus made a, a pretty strong statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. And what does that mean? Well, you know, this morning we had, uh, we had a little ceremony called communion where we, we, you know, little, I think they're eye washes, little, you know, little cups with, with juice in them and little biscuits and so on. And they, they're just symbols. They don't have any special power in themselves, but they're symbols and they represent something. They represent the blood and the body of Jesus. Why does the church go through this strange little ritual of drinking a little, a little vial of you know, juice and, and eating some crackers together? Because we do believe what Jesus said. No one comes to the, the Father except through me. Jesus makes a statement, says, I am exclusive. Yes, there are many religions, but Jesus makes a statement about all religions. He says, No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is that? Because nobody gave their lives on the cross for our sins except Jesus. Nobody was a pure sacrifice except Jesus Christ. Nobody rose from the dead. And conquering sin and death, except Jesus Christ. And it's faith in Him, not in ourselves, not in our our own goodness that we compare to other people's goodness. It's not in what we've done or our track record. It's all based on what Jesus has done. And so, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed today, maybe you're here and you are thinking, you know what, I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about, I don't know this forgiveness. And this revelation of love that you're talking about—I don't know what that means. Can I, can I, can I remind you that faith is experiential by nature? It means that you're going to step out in faith to discover it. And perhaps this morning, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you might say to yourself, "You know what? I want to make that decision of faith and step out and taste and see if the Lord is good." You may have lots of questions. You may have some experiences that, you know, that you've put together and think, you know, I don't know about God and the church and I've had some bad experiences or whatever. I've met some hypocrites or so on. You may have whatever it is that's hindering you. You might say, oh, I'm going to put that down and make a step of faith. I'm going to step out and trust on Jesus Christ and invite him to make himself real to me. I'm going to trust him that I need his forgiveness I'm going to trust Him that, that, that He is the way and the truth and the life. And so if that's you this morning, I want to challenge you to, to respond just in a simple way, a simple gesture. This is not to embarrass you. I'm not going to uh, call you out or anything like that. But I'm just going to challenge you today that if you're here today and you don't know the Christ that I'm talking about, you don't know the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God that we're talking about, you, you haven't got a sense of who Jesus is in your life. And no one's looking around for a moment, but that's you. You're saying, you know what, Pastor, I want to I make that step of faith today. I want to make a decision and put my faith in Christ today. And if that's you today, I want you to just do something for me. Would you lift up your hand? Just lift it up high in Jesus' name. Amen, today. That's you. You've never received Christ before. You want to slip up a hand and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I want to go on record. I will make, make that step today. Perhaps you're here and you once, maybe you were raised a Christian, but you realize, you know, today, uh, you know, in in November 2015, your relationship with God has gone astray. It's something of the past. You have perhaps reference points to the past, but it's not a current thing. And you realize today, you know what, I need to come back to Christ. I need to come back to that relationship. If that's you today and you want to make a recommitment of your life today, would you do something for me? Would you lift up a hand? Say, so that's me. I'm going on record today. I want to give my life to Christ again. I want to surrender to Him afresh in my life. Amen. Amen. And church today, can I challenge you? Can I challenge you about your soul's prosperity? How's your soul doing? We invest a lot of energy in physical things. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of normal. We, you work a full-time job because you need to pay your mortgage, because you need to pay your, you know, get food on your table, and all of those things. We put a lot of energy into this life because it it sucks a lot of energy out of us. But don't forget your soul, church. Don't forget the prosperity of your soul. And where does your soul prosper? Let me tell you. For me, it prospered when God took me out of the bush and me and my Bible out there with Jesus. He took me out of there and he put me in a local church. And he said, I want you to serve. I want you to learn how to love. I want you to learn how to have peace with other people. I want you to learn how to live in joy despite difficulties. I want you to walk with people who are suffering. I want you to encourage other people. And in the process, you'll be encouraged. How's your soul doing? How's your soul prospering? We can invest all kinds of things in, material, in this material life. What are you investing in the prosperity of your soul? In simple terms, are you investing time in your relationship with God? Do you find space in this busy life each day just to get aside? Jesus says, you know, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Do you have that private devotion? Do you open the Bible and pray like I pray? Lord. Speak to me. I can't figure all this out, but can you speak to me? Make yourself real to me. Do you have a relationship with God in His Word? If not, or if it's something that you've let lapse, perhaps today you decide, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some space. I'm gonna create a zone. I'm gonna write it in my organizer. I'm gonna set it aside. My soul is gonna prosper. I'm gonna invest. The Bible says that if you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the spirit, You will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Your soul will prosper. Amen. Amen. The song we're about to sing is a song of rising up. It's a song of stirring up. Amen. And and saying, you know what? I'm I'm laying a hold of that for which Christ laid a hold of me. I'm stirring my spirit up. Amen. So I encourage you as you stand today that you would uh, worship with the worship team and uh, surrender afresh, but rise up into that place that God's got for you.